the character that I personally wanted to win the show did not win the show. And obviously <laughs> I'm the writer and I could have done it a different way. But for the logic of the plot and things that I needed to wrap up, it had to go a certain way. But I was still like, oh no, that wasn't my contestant. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's kind of funny how books can kind of take on a mind of their, <laughs> their own yep, sometimes. Sometimes they do. <laughs> Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about the coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest cozy mystery releases. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, my cozy friends. I am so excited for today's episode because you all know how much I love me a millennial cozy mystery. And today's guest author, Misha Pop, wrote what I would consider to be the quintessential millennial cozy, Magic Lies and Deadly Pies. So welcome to this show, Misha. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. Today is just going to be such a fun episode because the Pies Before Guys books, like I said, are definitely what I would consider millennial cozies, which most of our listeners have heard me go on and on and on about in previous episodes. I uh, find your books to be so unique and fun. I love that you incorporate social issues, and I'm just really excited to dive in here. Um, But do you want to kick off the conversation by telling our listeners what the series is all about? So the Pies Before Guys books are about a vigilante baker who kills bad men with good pies. Um, There's good dogs, there's good food, and there is plenty of vengeance that we very much need these days. I love that tagline, kills bad guys with good pies. That's fantastic. (laughs) So the cozy mystery genre, it has just grown and changed so much over the past few years. I personally have found it really exciting to watch, and I love reading all the fresh new voices and perspectives that are coming into the genre. And I already mentioned that I consider your books to be cozies, but I have heard some debate about whether or not they're cozy mysteries or traditional mysteries. And I'm curious to know how you yourself would categorize them. So if you ask me what they are, I would say they're probably cozy thrillers because they definitely don't have, they don't have kind of that really clean, really wholesome feeling that most cozies, like traditional cozies do have. Um, But when I first wrote it, I didn't sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to write a cozy mystery or I'm going to write a cozy something. I just sat down and wrote this feminist revenge fantasy that I thought would be fun and kind of cathartic. And when it was done, I wasn't sure exactly where it was going to end up. Um, And even when we went out on sub with it, we sent it out in a couple different directions, thinking this might end up as kind of like magic women's fiction. We could amp up the romance a little bit and have it and land over there. Or we could have kind of lean more into the murder aspect of the murder pies and go mystery. So Uh obviously that's where it ended up. So here we are. I love that. Like cozy thriller. I would love to see more books in like a cozy thriller 
genre. I think that's a great way to describe it because you do have that cozy feeling, right? There's baking and like overall there, the story feels warm. It feels comforting to read. Um, it's like a comfort food, right? To eat it. It's like a comfort read. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and even in the second book, the second book, we do give her a murder to solve, but in general, she doesn't have murders to solve. She has murders to commit. Uh So (laughs) that does kind of kick it off of the very proper definition of cozy mystery just a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you do have like undercurrents of mysteries, maybe not murder mysteries, but there's Uh, definitely mysterious elements happening in both of the books (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and I just so I adore your main character Daisy she's smart she's relatable and despite some of her extracurricular activities she (laughs) is a truly kind and caring person Mm -hmm. and she also has this awesome sense of style so how would you describe her aesthetic to our listeners so Daisy definitely dresses like a 50s housewife with um, a little bit of kind of a rockabilly edge. Tight bodices, big floofy skirts. Um, she would much rather put on a tailored dress rather than a pair of pants any day of the week. Um, in fact, for her undercover is actually hoodies and jeans because that is so far from what she would normally wear. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of colors, different patterns. Um you will rarely see Daisy in anything super conservative. It's not going to have just one color. It's not going to have one element. It's going to be kind of a lot going on. So if we ever saw her um, on TV or anything, like the person that I think kind of embodies her would be Penelope Garcia from Criminal Minds. Like she has just kind of that sweet, quirky, offbeat kind of thing about her that's just charming. I love that. I like personally, like I'm reading her book and I'm like, oh, I wish I could pull off that kind of fashion, but I just don't have that kind of dedication to my clothing <laughs> every day. But what I really loved, what you did with her, um, the, the clothes that she wears and the way that she presents herself is you like introduced a really interesting conversation about feminism and uh, what some people consider to be a bad feminist and what's a good feminist. And uh, that whole conversation I found absolutely fascinating. Well, and there was such a a kind of thing for a while, especially in, um, especially YA fantasy, which obviously my book is not, but where strong female characters had to dress in typically like masculine kind of Mm -hmm. fashions. They had to behave very hard. Um, They would be swinging a sword rather than anything else. Where with Daisy, I very deliberately took that and just and flipped it right on its head because she can dress cute as anything, but she is still deadly. Um, yeah. Her fashion sense in no way negates her power. Yeah, I love that. And she's like doing this um, baking, right? So you would traditionally kind of put that with a, a female, like a traditional female role. And so she's doing that and she's passionate about it, but she's also like this kick butt feminist and I thought Mm -hmm. that was so cool yeah and the whole magic system is built on that like all of the Ellery power has been tied to these really kind of very very stereotypically traditional feminine roles like whether it's flower arranging or sewing or cleaning or hairstyling Mm -hmm. and it's just taking those things that we see as being hyper girly and then making them also not deadly in everyone's case but in definitely (laughs) in Daisy's case deadly (laughs) yeah yeah definitely and I do find the magic system in your series to not only be interesting um but for me it kind of is what supports the argument for this book being cozy whether it's cozy thriller cozy mystery Mm -hmm. what have you it does feel cozy because of the way the magic works so can you tell us a, a little bit about how the magic system works in these novels 
So like I just said, it's all tied to very stereotypically feminine pursuits. And for Daisy, it is baking specifically. Um, so she's not going to make you murder spaghetti, but she will make you murder pie. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, she's able to channel this power and these intentions into the things that she bakes. And it's not always murder. It can be if she's set up at the university, she's infusing her pies with curiosity and like academic integrity and lots of energy to get you through those early morning classes. Um, her diner pies are infused with a sense of home and comfort and kind of that cozy nostalgia that you want when you go into like those, those real like kind of small town diners. Um, and with the murder pies, it's not a guaranteed death. And this is the thing that does let it really walk that cozy line because mm-hmm. they're not poisoned. Anybody that the pie is not meant for can eat it. Like Daisy can eat murder pies all day long, zero effect. The women who request the pies can eat these murder pies with their abusive fathers or their abusive husbands. Um, The women will be fine, but the men, because the magic is tailored specifically to the wrongdoings that they are committing, it will act on them. Mm -hmm. And there is always a get out of jail free card baked into each one. You have the option to change, but if that person is incapable of changing or is unwilling to change, then they're going to stop the only way that they're able to, which in many of these cases is going to be murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that it was like they could eat the pies and they would change or they would not change and they would be dead. (laughs) That was kind of how the system worked. But either way, things are getting better. So Exactly. But either way, uh, women are no longer going to be harmed by them. So in a lot of genres, love triangles are very out of vogue, but in cozy mystery space in particular, we love us a good love triangle. So I very much enjoyed the love triangle that you have in your series, and I wondered if you'd want to tell us a little bit about each of Daisy's potential love interests. So... Both of Daisy's love interests are very much the angel and devil on her shoulder, and they represent very different things to her. Um, So we have Noel, who at the beginning of the series, she's um, just calls Farm Boy. He is set up at the farmer's market next to her, and they just kind of have this sweet little neighborly chat going on. And everything is easy with Noel. He has an orchard. He's very content to have this farm life, be making his ciders and having all his orchard activities going on. It's everything that she doesn't have after a life that's kind of been on the run because she's been making these murder pies and she's been moving town to town for so long that she's not as settled as he is where he has this whole life here in Turnbridge. And that appeals to her because it's so foreign to her. He basically has the same kind of feelings and, I guess, vibes um, that she puts into her diner pies, but he just has them automatically because it's who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he wants her to do good things, and he's very supportive of her and happy for her and just wants the best for her. Where we have Melly, on the other hand, who is 100% the devil on Daisy's shoulder. (laughs) She is enthusiastic almost to the point of recklessness sometimes. Um, She is unapologetically political. She wants to change the world tangibly for as many people as she can and she is more than happy to poke the bear of daisy's darker side where noel might be a little bit hesitant about some of the darker things that daisy gets into melly is like guns blazing ready to go into battle with her so they both offer her something very different which puts her right in the middle of it because typically i'm not a big love triangle person either but for daisy in particular we have these two very very different types of people 
And she's got to figure out what does she want with her life now that she's starting to find a place where she can be settled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, that's always like the most important thing when it comes to a love triangle is that the love interests have to be different, but they have to represent parts of the character that she would really want to pursue and is maybe torn between those two different parts of herself and what person does she ultimately want to be. And they're exactly. both, yeah, exactly. And they're both so well developed. Like they feel like very, very real people. Um, so it's interesting to read about. It's not like one of those love triangles where it's just like frustrating and you're like, pick one already. It just, it feels like Daisy's organic character development. Mm -hmm. So I do uh, want to talk about baking shows because the second book in the series, A Good Day to Pie, Daisy is actually a contestant on a baking show, which was so much fun to read about. And I love watching baking shows. So I have to ask, what is your favorite baking show to watch? Okay, so what I, this is always a funny question for book two, because I, up until I started drafting that book, I probably hadn't watched a baking show in a good 15 years. It was, oh, wow. I think the last thing I was watching consistently was like Ace of Cakes. Uh -huh. um, I'm one of those people, like, I don't have TV, I don't have cable. So if I'm streaming something, I'm usually rewatching something that I love, and it's usually not something, like, reality-based. Right. Because there's enough of reality. But, like, I've been aware of, obviously, the Great British Baking Show just because I'm a human in the world. And I knew I kind of wanted to set a murder in that kind of environment. But I had never seen the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> um, so I started drafting. I was like, well, I'm going to have to actually watch a couple episodes just to see what I'm trying to emulate. And it instantly became my entire personality. I am not even lying. <laughs> um, I went through all of them obnoxiously quickly. When the new series come on now, like I am right there every week. Like we are watching the Great British Baking Show. This is a thing that's happening. But it is also at this point, literally the only one that I watch. I have a great appreciation for the fact that there are very cool culinary shows out there. And I feel slightly remiss in that the fact like I'm writing in this world, but I can talk about exactly one of them. <laughs> well, luckily no, it's one of the really good fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wonderful. Like in, in my opinion, that's the ultimate like cozy comfort watch is the Great British Bake Off. Like it's just the the tone and the vibes and how kind everyone on the show is. Like, oh, it's just so heartwarming. And a good day to pie definitely captures all of those vibes and how the contestants are supportive of one another and I just loved it yeah and that's what I was definitely trying to go for like because so many of like the the food network shows like it's all cutthroat and screaming mm -hmm. at each other like hell's kitchen and stuff and that yeah. wasn't what I was going for like I wanted everyone to have a character in book two that they were rooting for and that it might not be Daisy. like you might meet all these characters and be like oh I really want Nell to win or I really uh -huh. want Cortesia to win and kind of have a stake in it. And it's funny because, and I'm not going to give anything away, but the character that I personally wanted to win the show did not win the show. And obviously <laughs> I'm the writer and I could have done it a different way. But for the logic of the plot and things that I needed to wrap up, it had to go a certain way. But I was still like, oh no, that wasn't my contestant. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's kind of funny how books can kind of take on a mind of their, <laughs> their own yep, sometimes. Sometimes they do. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. And listeners, I, I promise if you like watching The Great British Bake Off, you will absolutely love A Good Day to Pie. So definitely add it to your TBRs. And then there's a quote um, in A Good Day to Pie that I wanted to mention as well, because it really struck me. And that is, out of sight, out of mind should not apply to a person. 
And the context of the conversation that it was set in just really got me thinking about how we consume true crime stories as well as fictional murder mysteries and how we're speaking about the victims. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on that topic. So I know true crime podcasts and documentaries and mockumentaries, like they're all having this massive moment right now. Uh-huh. It's not my jam. And I'm not saying this like, just, oh, stop watching them or anything. It's just one of those things that for me, um, and again, it's sort of like what I was saying, I tend to not watch reality TV, like even like baking shows, because there's enough of reality around us. Um, we're inundated with reality. So if right. I'm consuming something murdery, I 100% want it to be fictional murder. I am team Hannibal all the way, but I want nothing to do with Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, right. give me my classy fictional Hannibal, not my real life killed a bunch of people where the victims are still alive. And I think that's, that's the difference. Like, it's one thing if you're writing murders and even like grisly murders. So I, typically my reading tends to go on the darker side of mystery thrillers rather than the cozier side. So I mm -hmm. do read a lot of darker stuff voraciously and unapologetically. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, it is fiction. And there was an interview and oh my God, this is probably going back 2014. And I'm going to say it was Lisa Unger and I might be wrong about that. But she was talking about how it was Tess Gerritsen. It was Tess Gerritsen. Um, and she was talking about how women tend to read crime novels because we see ourselves in the victims. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the places that we can, that women in general can relate to what we're seeing on the page. And what I like about um, crime fiction now is it is swinging the other way. Readers are starting to be able to see and have been for the past easily 10 years, been able to see themselves in the detectives, in whether in cozies, like it is amateur sleuths, like they're readers and female identifying people are able to relate to the protagonists more than the victims now. And then you have authors like me um, and Lane Fargo and a couple <laughs> others who are, we want to see ourselves reflected in the killers as well. Um, <laughs> there is a lot of feminine rage going on and there needs to be an outlet for it. So I do think kind of the broadening of the crime fiction area is rife with a lot of opportunities for positive portrayals, even though at the end of the day, more often than not, the victims are still female. The detectives, the people, the heroes of the story are also female. So you get a little mm -hmm. bit more balance where in true crime, it starts to feel a little more like all torture and all trauma all the time because right. it is true. And it real that's really what it is. And you can't, I personally have a hard time escaping from that fact. Like I can't detach Jeffrey Dahmer from the reality of him enough to right. be entertained in a documentary about him. It is one of those things that you think about when you're writing. You're like, well, mm -hmm. how, like, how ethical is this? Or like, and especially with everything we have going on, like with police brutality and all of this, how can you ethically be writing entertainment set in this kind of field and genre in a way that doesn't feel like voyeuristic? Um, right. Which is why I write fluffy pie murders. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I love what you said about the like cozies and then other some of the mystery thrillers that you mentioned where the authors are writing the women as the detectives or the women as the killers and kind of taking that power back instead of yes. always being the victims. And I will also recommend um, My Sister the, Ser the Serial Killer by Oyen yes. Han Braithwaite. Fantastic. <laughs> that book. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorites. It's so good. No, there's a bunch. Um, and actually, I, I'll make sure I link it on my website. I did an article um, 
I want to say it was for Book Riot. It might have been Murder and Mayhem. Um, I feel like I should know this as I'm mentioning it. But it was about um, likable female serial killers because there's a, there's a good bunch of them right now. But I'll make sure that's on my website if anybody wants to check it out. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely have to check that out. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's a reminder to update my website, which is something I chronically <laughs> forget to do. <laughs> I know. It's so hard. There's so many things to keep updated between websites and social oh my media God, and like <laughs> trying to write books and all of that on top of it, right? <laughs> does keep you busy. <laughs> yeah. So there are so many different subgenres or categories of cozies. Like we have cat cozies, coffee cozies, craft cozies, but the ones that do seem to be the most popular with readers are baking cozies. So what do you think it is about baking and cozy mysteries or cozy thrillers that make them such a perfect duo? I think it's because everybody can relate to baking. Either they enjoy it they enjoy the act of baking or they enjoy eating the product of baking. Right. <laughs> Where some of the others like cats, like you might get people who are like, oh, I'm not a cat person and I'm not going to read a book about a cat. Or they're like, I don't like quilting, so I'm not going to read the quilting shop mysteries. Pretty much everybody can be like, you know what? I like cake or I like pies or I like muffins. Right. Um, and they can get on board. It's, it's a very accessible inroad. Like it's not a very niche interest. And it's just fun because and everybody has that certain like frame of reference where it's like, okay, yeah, I understand baking. Like You might not understand the restaurant industry running a bakery or a cafe, but you've been, most people have been to one. So it makes it feel a little bit more inviting and kind of a world that they can easily visualize and see a way into. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I've never thought about it that way. Um, and I do feel like baking is like comfort food, right? Like if I if I have a bad day, I'm not like, oh, I want to go home and eat some chicken and broccoli. It's like, exactly. I want to go home and have a, a piece of cake and cry and then I'll feel a right. lot better. <laughs> So yeah, I, I do love that. And I uh, I really found the way that you described the the bakes and the pies and the flavors that Daisy was making. It was unique um, and, and it was very comforting to read about. And I did actually, I, and I, I know I tagged you in this, so you've probably <laughs> seen it, um, but we made your peanut butter pie. So you have the recipe in the back of your book for peanut butter pie. Yeah. And my husband said it was the best thing that I had ever made. And I'm like, you're right. This is absolutely the <laughs> best thing that I have ever made in my entire life. So how do you come up with your recipes that you incorporate? First, I have to say that I love when people tag me in the pictures of things that they bake. So if anybody who's listening does that, please tag me in it because I love to see it. So and as far as coming up with recipes, I did work as a baker for um, a while and I still do dessert catering um, kind of freelance on the side. Oh, cool. That is the super fun part about, well, I guess so flavors is the fun part about baking in general, but it's one of the coolest parts about this book, this book series in general too, is coming up with what are we putting in there for food? And the nice thing about pie in particular is it is infinitely customizable. Like there are a zillion flavors that you can put into pie. So it's just kind of thinking like, what's in season? What is tempting? What candy bar can we turn into pie? Or what cake can get turned into pie? Um, you can twist pretty much anything and make a pie version of it, which is fun. I will say on the most recent murder pie book that recently got turned in that I can't be talking too much about yet, I started out with a pumpkin chai latte pie and I'm writing it and I'm describing it as all cozy fall flavors. And I'm like, I'm gonna have to actually develop this recipe and I hate pumpkin pie. Oh, but it no. sounded so good on the page that I was like, oh, I'm just gonna do it anyway. <laughs> um, so occasionally it's one of those things like where, yeah, the recipes do occasionally get out of hand and you're like, well, yep, I just committed myself to this on the page, so we gotta make it happen. Right. Um, oh, that's so but yeah, funny. No, it's, a, it's a lot of fun coming up with recipes. 
Wow, you are like the embodiment of writing what you know. I love that. <laughs> totally. Daisy's dresses and the baking is 100% just the things that like I dig, so. I love that. That's so much fun. Um, I feel like that kind of like comes through uh, in the text a little bit because like when you, like I said, when you're describing these bakes, the the description is so vivid and it's sensory and so it's like clearly she's made this before clearly she's tasted this exact right. pie before yeah no they're definitely books for people who enjoy their food descriptions if you're somebody who's just not into food they will probably drive you nuts because it is a <laughs> lot of baking especially book two. Oh my god there were so many recipes in that one yeah oh i'm excited we uh so we like to do little date nights and make recipes from cozy mystery so now we're gonna have to try one from book two because um, the book one was a smash success so I highly recommend picking up magic lies and deadly pies and trying the peanut butter recipe if nothing else because oh my goodness it was amazing but you just can't go wrong with peanut butter and chocolate I mean it it's is a true. classic for a reason it's true it's true it's a very good point so I know you mentioned there's not much you can say about your next book but can you tell us anything about what you're working on now so the pies before guys series is continuing awesome. um I do not have a title confirmed yet. I do not have a release date confirmed yet. At this point, I have nothing uh, <laughs> confirmed, except that the book has been sent off. So as soon as I do get updates on information that I can share, that will be going out publicly. So that is on the horizon. Um, my best guess is going to be early next year it would come out. I'm awesome. not really sure. And as of this week, I'm actually diving into a project that has been percolating in my brain for a good five years now and it's a thriller and this is going quite dark some of the same themes that we see in the murder pies book but taken to a much more kind of serious level so mm -hmm. it should be a lot of fun oh, i'm very much exciting. looking forward to more murders <laughs> yeah i i love thrillers so my like cozies are my number one genre and then like <laughs> dark twisty psychological thrillers yep. are like right <laughs> underneath them so i'm looking forward to reading that already yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll be piecing that in around edits for book three and things like that, but I'm very eager to get going because, like I said, it's been brewing in my brain for a while now and it is time to stop making notes on it and start making things happen. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll definitely stay tuned for news and then we'll uh, share it on all of the podcast social media um, when you do make an announcement because we're so excited to pick up the next book in the series. And let's see, before we sign off today, do you want to just tell our listeners how they can connect with you online and also stay up to date on all of your upcoming books? So the easiest place to find me is Instagram. Um, I am Misha Pop underscore. That is my most commonly updated thing, period, out of mm -hmm. websites and social media. I exist on Twitter, but as of right now, I don't use it a whole lot because it's a garbage fire. It is. Um, for <laughs> it so is. many reasons. Um, but so feel free to follow. I will do like I will post big updates there. So like when book three is formally announced, it will go up there. Pre-sale stuff will go up there. But Instagram is best. And I will be setting up a newsletter. And I obviously should have done this prior to two books coming out. But <laughs> I will be doing it. So if that's something that anybody is interested in signing up for, I'll be posting the sign up on my website, which is mishapop.com. Or you can shoot me an email at mishapopbooks at gmail.com. And just a note that I can add you to the newsletter list when I get it set up. It is on my to-do list and I'm trying to get it done by the end of April. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, good luck. It sounds like you've definitely got your hands full over there. Good to keep busy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it definitely is. Especially if you're trying to make any kind of money in the publishing industry. You've got to stay busy all the time. You really, really do. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
right. Well, Misha, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been so much fun. Oh, no, it was great. I'm so glad you had me. Oh, of course. It's absolutely my pleasure. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back very soon with another episode, so stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Stay cozy.